Welcome to Coffee and Poets here in Sacramento. We're here the third Sunday of every month at five o'clock Pacific time, daylight or standard. Uh, and you can find us uh, here at the Naked Lounge on 8th Street in Sacramento. Uh, if it's not five o'clock on the third Sunday, you can find us on SoundCloud. Just search for Coffee and Poets. The and is an ampersand. And this series is a pretty cool idea. It's a series where poets get together and interview other poets of their choice. Uh, the whole series is produced by Insa'a. You can find uh, his other work also on SoundCloud uh, and other places around the internet. So be sure to check that out, Insa'a, N-S-A-A. Uh, so I'm Jeff Neal. I'm the host uh, this month, and I'm happy to be back for my second uh, my second stint here at Coffee and Poets, and I'm very happy to bring to the show uh, Mr. David DeMola. Hello! Welcome, David. Thank hey. you for joining us. Thank you for joining us <laughs> this month. No, thanks for having me. I'm actually, I was really excited when I heard about this. And now yeah. you're here. Are you still excited? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm still excited, of course. Uh, Literally so, shaking. <laughs> uh, so this is, but that happens almost every time you're around me. I've, oh, I've noticed, yeah. So. It's the bald head. Uh Mostly, mostly, mostly. Uh, mostly. Uh, so, uh, so this this uh, show, coffee and poets. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to have very many questions about coffee, but we'll Thank have God. several questions about poetry. Um, and I wouldn't start with you know, for you why yeah. uh, why why poetry. Well, for me, um, as a kid, I had depression, and I kind of stumbled into poetry, just kind of free writing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was writing about what I was feeling and all those little emo thoughts and whatnot, and. Um, yeah, it wasn't until about like four years ago that I really got into the idea of writing poetry. And I started going to open mics and all that. But it's my way of expression and my way of connecting with people on a condition that isn't normally talked about. Uh, so choosing that uh, as opposed to the times that you choose that instead of other instead of other means of expressing what why why poetry instead of writing novels or oh, gotcha. making YouTube videos or um <laughs> Uh, I don't, it's always clicked with me, the idea of, because like originally I started writing because I didn't want to share my work and it was all just for me. So if, obviously if I'm performing on stage, that would be in front of other people. This is just my very easy way to just like whip out a notebook and just start going, 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 going. And I'm doing hand motions right now, which doesn't help on a podcast, but yeah. <laughs> well, for the live audience though, that's, that's why it's people showmanship. show up. You got to have yeah. the showmanship. That's the special, that's the bonus for showing up in person. Is Absolutely. You get to see the hand movements. That's on H and 11th. And the um, headband. Yeah. Coffee also. and Poets. Uh, Naked Lounge. It's a very nice headband, by the way. Thank does you. it have a significance for you? Uh, it does actually. It's actually a tie, which I tied into a single Windsor or a half Windsor, as we uh, talked about before. Um, this is given to me. I taught a bunch of second graders haiku and they gave me a thank you tie. And so it's nice. a bunch of like misspelled words and it's adorable. Yeah. yeah. Did you do a good job teaching them haiku? They learned. That's good. They got on like surprisingly <laughs> fast. Yeah, it was over at uh, Leatata Elementary School. And what part of haiku did you uh, focus on with them? Syllables or it, nature or being in a uh, moment? The the deep meaning of the universe. Yeah. I and did they, I bet they, they were good at that. right on. No, uh, yeah. they were learning syllables. So I was like, oh, that'd be cute. You know, yeah. teach, them, teach them haiku and all that. Nice. Five, seven, five. And it worked. Yeah. I bet not all of them were actually 575. No. Did some of them have a personal <laughs> definition for what a syllable consists of? Absolutely. Yeah. But it was, it was adorable regardless. <laughs> um, so now that you, 
I mean, because you said if you were up on stage, when you first started, if you were up on stage, it would defeat the purpose of what you're trying to do. But now I know I happen to have insider information. You are up on stage sometimes. So, uh, once in a while. <laughs> so now that you do other forms of uh, expression and entertainment also, what is it that... Um, what is it that you can do? What is it, or not that you can? What do you do with poetry that you don't do with other forms of expression? Well, like I've done improv for about four years, and obviously you can't really get into too much personal stuff on that. You can't really get into depression because it's supposed to be comedy, and that doesn't usually fit in too well on like an improv kind of format. Um, but I've found with my writing because this is coming straight from my brain to the page and then out presented out. I can kind of control it and make sure I'm putting out a cohesive message about depression. About yeah. Oh, about depression. Um, yeah. So, so you and, said straight from your brain onto the page, but you also go to open mics and you give performances. Yeah. When you are writing it, are you keeping the end performance in mind? I have a natural rhythm in my head that seems to like develop. Like every time I start writing, I get a natural beat for whatever the poem is and it develops and kind of shapes itself as I'm going. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's not really, I'm not worrying about the end performance, but it ends up having an end performance, if that makes sense. It does. So what are you, uh, what are you reading right now? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm reading a biography about uh, the Marx Brothers, Groucho Marx. Oh, the, the later Marx Brothers, yeah. not the... Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, not, not the like ones Carl with big beards. Or, yeah. Okay. And how is it? Uh, it's, it's Okay. <laughs> it's yeah i mean like are their lives not interesting or is the writing not interesting it, no their lives are very interesting and the writing's pretty good it's just i'm trying to get myself back into into reading because for the longest time school actually kind of undid my want and drive to read mm -hmm. um by kind of shoving it down my throat with boring textbooks so i'm trying to fight through that <laughs> a bit more and so to try and get away from boring textbooks you picked up a Biography. I like people's lives. I like learning about people's <laughs> lives. Um, it, like one of the best things I can think of is writing on a RT because somebody always comes up and they always tell me their life story. So yeah, it's kind of my way of getting that experience without having to be on regional transit. I find that if you <laughs> avoid eye contact on the on the light rail, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't help but look people in the eye. Like every time I see them, I'm just like. I've noticed that it's a little creepy. To be I, oh, oh, I've, I've heard that from so many people. <laughs> they, they tell me that, yeah, why do you, why are you staring at me? I'm like, I'm just being attentive. I don't mean to be like leering or anything. Uh, speaking of leer, uh, do you read much Shakespeare? Uh, in high school? <laughs> yes. Um, so that's what you're reading right now. And you said that you hadn't been reading much before that. Do you yeah. generally read nonfiction or fiction uh, or I tend poetry? To read a lot of, or uh, poetry and uh, philo philosophy, uh, religious stuff, such as the Bible. The Bible. All right. No. Um, the Tao is typically my fallback. Art of War. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Useful for daily life. So, especially in this time of many wars. <laughs> Um, so what was your, so that's what you're reading right now. Do you generally read poetry, more nonfiction than fiction? Uh, more fiction. I like hearing about, or uh, nonfiction, excuse me. I like hearing about what's inside people, you know, and their expression of it. So, um, so what was your favorite, favorite <sighs> book among, among your favorite books? I'm going to upset every single poet in Sacramento. Um, Gary Snyder. Gary Snyder. <laughs> Gary Snyder. No. Um, that's too broad of a question. I don't know. Cause what was the first one that came into your mind when I said that, though? 
and then you decided it wasn't your favorite book, but what <laughs> book was it that came into your mind? Uh, Graffiti Blue, uh, Poet's Pursuit of Pleasure. All right. Yeah, it's a three-part series so far. He's working on a fourth. And it's not so much actually poetry. It's a fiction story based it, off of his life. Oh, okay. So say, say it again. Uh, a Poet's Pursuit of Pleasure. By Graffiti, By Graffiti Blue. Blue. That's B-L-E-U, like the cheese. Like the cheese when people spell it right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. Uh, what's the uh, what's the longest book you ever read? <sighs> I think it was actually read. Not, uh, actually, we're, oh, not no. we're supposed to read. Yeah, and then class, didn't because dear God, read. high school was full yeah. of those books. Um, but I used to frustrate teachers. Anyway, um, the Dragonland series. I read the that's entire. A, that's a series. That's yeah. It's a whole. I read the whole series, but it was in one big book. So oh, so it counts. A, yeah, I counted. Okay. <laughs> um, ridiculous amount of pages, and it was right. just. Fantasy, high fantasy, yeah. wonderfulness. I remember, I, I worked in a bookstore for uh, several years, and mm. um, they took up a lot of room on the shelf. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I sat there and I read um, from Autumn Twilight all the way to Summer Flame, like, multiple times. Oh, I, that and, uh, oh my God, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that whole series. Also a series, though. Not, yeah, not I, I know, book. I know, I know. So did you ever read Terry Pratchett? Um, Terry Pratchett. I've read, read Good the- Omens, yeah. but... That's pretty much all I've read of Pratchett. He passed actually. away yeah. a few days ago. Yeah, that'll date this podcast when people look it up a few years from now. <laughs> say, wow, I'm not listening to this. Was going kidding? on back when Terry Pratchett died. This isn't new and modern. You know? um, what are podcasts anyway? <laughs> they'll say. Um, so you read a lot of poetry. So who who are your favorite? Uh, well, actually, before I get to that, okay. we're talking about fiction and nonfiction. Does that? Um, directly or indirectly affect your uh, your poetry, your other work? Uh, I would say it's mostly music and seeing other people's performances like around Sacramento. That's what's really been my biggest influence. Uh, like the hardcore punk scene actually influenced me a lot with uh, bands like Killing the Dream and all that. I haven't heard of all that. Oh, no, there's you no, know, that's not an actual band, no. no. <laughs> that does sound, that kind of sounds like a punk name. <laughs> but uh, no. Install Authority, all that. Yeah. Uh, no, um, um, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, yeah. I would get a new album, whoever it was, all that or Bon Jovi <laughs> or, you know, Depeche Mode or, you know, whatever. And I would, I, you know, that was I, I, I don't know exactly how old you are, but when I was a kid, it was still tapes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, in, the inserts would fold out kind of like a um, like a map oh, and I would lay on my bed and listen to my new tape and yeah. um, just read the lyrics along with it. Oh, nice. Um so when you say you draw inspiration from music, it, like, did, do you read the lyrics right. or is it just sitting there and listening to it? And it's, I sit there, I listen to it, and often, like, when I do meditation, I'll pick random things. Like one time, I chose um, Tool's Ten Thousand Days" album. I just listen to it and meditate, and just kind of let my mind wander along with the music and draw conclusions based off of just the sounds. When I meditate, I picture a perfect circle. <laughs> <laughs> I should try that. That joke will also be dated. <laughs> yeah. It probably already is. Um, so, um, so who, who's your who's your favorite uh, poet to read, or among among your favorite poets to read, or lacking that? Who, what poets have you read the most, regardless of whether you really like them that much or not? Okay, um, I've read a lot of Whitman, and I've read, holy cow, uh, Anne Sexton. I'm a big Anne Sexton fan. Um, as I don't know if that sounds weird or not. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Only because of her last name. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm of a big Sexton. fan of Sexton, ladies. <laughs> hey oh. Horrible human being. So, uh, so Whitman and and Sexton, yeah, uh, those are the two biggest. Uh, Poe. So, do you do you just like reading them, or do you like the 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 work that they cultivate I, in you? What I inspire? love is like the amount of honesty that goes into it, and they don't just have to talk about themselves. They can be talking about anything, but you can feel their own how it applies to them personally in that moment. That's interesting. You know, so Whitman. Well, I mean, first of all, he's pretty famous for the song of myself. Yeah. So you're saying it's not just well, about yeah, him, yeah, but, but you know, he's. But yeah. yeah um, <laughs> oh, Captain, oh, Captain, it was really about himself. He just yeah. said it was about Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the general themes and all that. So he's a he's a romantic. Right? He's an American romantic, and mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, took the romantic notion of everything being uh, subjective, yeah. right? And he made a and he made a almost a pseudo religion. Out of it for himself, you know. I'm the the bo- sing the body electric and all that. Is that um, do you kind of subscribe to? Uh, things have changed in the last hundred uh, yeah. hundred and fifty years, but um, well, it's funny. Um, but we still see that kind of running through a lot of our entertainment culture, yeah. or our personal expression. It's funny because I went to um, a little thing by um, Zero Forbidden Goals ZFG. They had an open mic, and a Sack B reporter was there, and he said that I sounded and looked like a priest. When uh, when that was going on, Let and the I records it, show that his family just snickered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, family, they know better. No, um, <laughs> but and that was A like Greek Orthodox priest, I think. Really. Yes, of course, it's a nose. <laughs> they can't see this if you're watching this on the podcast. Very Greek nose. <laughs> but um, but he said I, I looked and sounded like a priest, and I looked over like some of my older poems, especially. It's very. It's very preachy. It's very preachy it's in a very good preachy. way or a bad way. Uh, in, in a, I would argue a good way. Um, I don't. Amen. amen. Exactly. That's one of the poems that my dad just referenced. Yeah, professional a, heckler. Amen. Right. Yeah. Amen. amen is the. Um, which I've officially banned my, myself from doing because I've been doing it too much lately. But I can break that rule if you want. <laughs> Uh, and it was the name of the chapbook that came out. Absolutely. What was it? A year, a year and a half ago. Yeah, uh, just about a year and a half ago. That was a uh, little impress. Little wonderful impress, little thing. An excellent little press. Absolutely. Um, and there's this wonderful guy who hooked me up with it. I can't remember his name. That's I think okay. Was... We'll, we'll leave it out. We'll talk about it later. George. It's something like that. That's his dad's name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that you. We'll get to a, a piece in a second, but I, um, you know you. S- read on open mic stages, you yeah. perform your poetry. Um, and you said that you not only read a lot of poetry, but you you get a lot more of your inspiration instead of from poets that you read, but from music and from poetry that you hear around town. Yeah, no, so a what lot is of local the, poets. The experience of hearing poetry, for me, is a lot different than reading. You can't go back yeah. and see what they just said. Um, for me, the writing process for both of those are very different. Like I have poems that are just meant to be read and poems that are just meant to be read out loud. And they very rarely bleed over. Because uh, um, there's supposed to be a whole performance aspect and you're supposed to hear how I say it. And uh, you're pretty conscious of performance. Not not mm-hmm. not really when you re- were saying write it, yeah. you were saying earlier, but um, it kind of comes out of the rhythm that, that yeah. is in the piece. So do you... Um, I assume your performance has improved over the last four years. Do you feel like it has? Do you pay a lot of attention to it? Um, I could say that I'm a lot more confident about it now. 
And before I was very shaky in terms of my voice and I wasn't really sure what I was doing and it showed on stage a lot more than, um, than it does today. Yeah. So it's still there. It just doesn't It's still there. Oh, God, yeah. No, no. I have a small twitch in my right knee that always goes off. <laughs> I'll look for it next time. Okay, go So, uh, in fact, I'll look for it right now. How about if you read uh, a poem for us, perform a poem for us? Um, I'll do this one. It's um, called Fighting Off Monsters in Dark Places to My Godson. Um, it was about the one and only time that I actually babysat him. <laughs> and, and it yeah. was the only time because... Well, I'm terrible with small children. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies. Um, So anyways. You were just learning language when I babysat you. I put you to bed. You said through stumbling words mixed with babble that you couldn't sleep, that there were monsters in your closet, that you were going to, that they were going to swallow you whole the moment you closed your eyes. I smiled. It's an offer I can't refuse. So I ran into the kitchen, put a colander helmet on my head, grabbed a wooden spoon sword and fought them off into the halls, making clinking noises on all the walls, making a mess of demon blood on hardwood floor, making bold statements in Pulp Fiction tones. Stand down, devil! Your time has come! I was making such a great struggle over nothing at all. So when I heard you softly breathing, I was going to put the colander in the sink and see if you were dreaming, but I had to see what I looked like in the mirror. So I did. And in that moment, I took a deep breath. I didn't get to have much of a childhood. There were too many goodbyes, too many rainy days, too, watching gray clouds pour their hearts out over caskets. I grew up so fast. So sometimes I idealize what might have been if I hadn't. And it gets expressed in ways that grown-ups don't understand. And I still call them grown-ups, which isn't attractive to grown-up women. It's not a quality they yearn for. See, I hope when he gets older, he doesn't want to be an adult because adults are stupid single-minded, so unwilling to move forward from where they settle in, and so full of shit because sometimes they just throw temper tantrums and they call them lawsuits, foreclosure notices, debt collections, repossessions, divorce settlements, job performance evaluations. I don't want to be an adult. They just ruin lives. They just break hearts. What I want to be when I grow up is a fiscally responsible child who doesn't doesn't grow old so much as he gathers wrinkles like trading cards of memories of every time he smiled, of every time he's cried, and of all the late nights he spent staying up fighting off monsters with spoon sword ways past his bedtime. I exhale, and I open your door to find you dreaming. It's all I could have asked for. I love you. Good night. That was, that was good. <laughs> well, <That> thanks. Was good. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to have active judgments. Subjective. But, <laughs> well, of course, uh, of course, of course. So I, um, it sounds, and I've, I've heard yeah, you no. perform before oh. and I've really enjoyed it. Um, you have a certain aspect in your performance that calls up, um, you know, slam poets or performance poets yeah. of, of times past. There's yeah. a certain, you know, bit of the, cadence or the way that you present the work do you um kind of and it uh, well the funny thing about that is i i didn't know what slam was until about two years ago Mm -hmm. and i was writing this style before i even knew what it was and it just kind of came out of me naturally so uh when jenny davison hit me up about joining ethnic theater workshop i was like well yeah i seem to fit in perfectly with this you know why wouldn't i yeah so do you ever go back and listen to you know whether it's uh you because there are people who have albums or you have plenty of youtube videos whether yeah. it's sage francis or or um uh you know saul kind of at the back you know the beginning of it all do you ever go back and listen to that stuff and hear either what you can 
emulate or learn from or differentiate yourself from or anything like that? I don't really, I didn't record a lot of my own stuff um, back in the day, so I don't have a lot on file. Um, but what I do love doing is going and watching like Buddy Wakefield on YouTube and Andrea Gibson and listening to what they do and kind of not trying to copy them, but find my own way of expressing along that kind of similar vein. If that well, I think sense. you should, should steal most. most <laughs> yeah, good artist steal. Artists. I read a whole book about that. Yeah, that guy artist, told me about it. Uh, Johnny Citizen. Good artist steal. Great artist also steal. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that how that ends. I think yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll steal that. No, don't steal that. <laughs> oh, don't, don't steal, steal that. my okay. stuff. Okay. Steal okay. other sorry. people's. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Steal other people's stuff. Um, <laughs> so, um, so you also do theater. Improv? Do you ever do scripted theater? Uh, rarely. I do it with a little group called Epic Tiki on YouTube. I, we do sketches and all of that. And uh, I keep saying all of that. But, yeah. Um, sketch and improv, those are my two mainstays. So what is it? D- d- does the improv inform your poetry? I'd say it informs more of my, my stage presence. Um, it got me used to being confident in front of a crowd instead of extremely nervous and shaky and I've managed to reduce it to just that little twitchy right knee. Um, yeah. And it doesn't so much inform my poetry. I've never actually written about improv. Are you, um, so in improv, what's the number one rule of improv? Yes. And yes. And that's right. (laughs) Always say yes. What's the number one rule in life? Uh, yes, and as far as I yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. you led me into that very well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, that's been a recent um, thing that I've been trying to do is just say yes and and see where it goes. And so far, it's been so good. We'll or if out. you say no, at least say but. No but. Yeah, there's always that good no but. You want to do go do uh, cocaine with me? No, no but, but I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> um, so when you. Got in? Did you get into the improv scene, or did you get into performing improv around the same time that you started coming out? Yeah, to- I um. So I started off over at ARC Improv Club in like 2007. I wasn't taking it seriously. I was going like every other month. And um, 2000, gosh, 2010, 2011, a friend of mine invited me to come out for a local spot, and I went out there and I started performing with them. And that was just about the same time that I started doing a. Started doing open mics. For the record, I did open mics first. Before you performed improv. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, well, it's good that you're a poet who came to improv instead of an improviser Improvising. who made his way over to Because they're so, improvisers are so goofy when they start off. They're just so high strung and just like, please God, like me, like me, like me. And I'm thankful that I didn't start off Whereas like that. Whereas poets on the stage never. Yeah, like I'm openly making fun of myself on stage. That's what I do most of the time when I'm not reading poetry. <laughs> so you, you said you weren't taking it seriously. Um what well, would you say that for improv or poetry, are you taking it seriously now? I would say I'm taking poetry seriously. I'll still make fun of myself on stage, but I keep my, in mind the idea of professionalism and the fact that I'm actually having a message here that I could be conveying instead of goofing off. And you know, Hence the tie. That's why you're wearing a tie. Yeah, on my head, for the record, <laughs> if you're watching at home, as well as a three-piece suit and a crown. <laughs> Uh, so, so you said for your poetry, you're trying to get a message across. Is yeah. that? Um, I mean, there's a there's a line between self-expression and giving people a message that you think they should hear. Yeah. They're kind of different. What 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 yeah. do you think? 
poetry should be or what do you think it does best? So um, without trying to sound overly flowery with it, um, I see myself as being the open door to the idea of talking about depression. I never try to really force it onto people, but I like using my poetry as a method of just kind of like presenting it. And if you accept it, cool. If not, don't worry about it. You'll have plenty of opportunities in the future to hear me again. So stated in a non-poetic way, what do you think is the message that people should hear about depression? Um, it's here. If you want to fix it, talk about it. Isn't that what depression makes hardest? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's you got to hit it at that point. Because for me, not talking about it has always led to my worst downfalls of it and attempts in the past. And when I close myself off to the world, it's the single worst thing I can do. So the best thing I can do is express myself on stage and hope that it catches someone else's eye and they go like, oh, hey, I can talk to, at the very least, I can talk to this guy about it afterwards and my experiences with it. So and, really what you're trying to do is get more people to talk to you so that you won't close yourself off. Well, I'm trying to get more people to open up about their depression to begin with because that's the that, for me, that was the beginning point when I learned to start talking about my depression. So like I get a lot of people after performances, not a lot, not like piles, but a couple people typically after I do a poetry reading, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, you know, thank you for talking about this. And, you know, here's my like personal, be it personal experience or relative who's had it or friend, et cetera. Do you feel like depression is, aside from the, the people who are feeling depressed that don't talk about it, yeah. is there, um, do you also feel like there's a social stigma against other people who don't have it talking about it or people who did have it continuing to not talk about it? Oh or yeah. I get the weirdest looks whenever I bring it up. Cause I've, I've gotten used to talking about it just kind of blase and like openly to the point where it makes people uncomfortable. Cause I'll just bring it up in conversation. Like if they bring up the topic of depression, I'll just kind of jump into it, you know, start talking about my experience. And I notice that there's a lot of discomfort and people don't want you to necessarily bring it out. But it's good that they hear about it because the worst thing you could do, like I was saying before, is not talk about it. So we don't have a lot of um, things that are considered considered mental uh, disorders in America where you're too happy. <laughs> right? but, Ma but there are mania. some other countries where like that person is too happy. There's something wrong with them. <laughs> you know, I don't trust them. Don't don't go around there. Uh, do yep. you think it's a I, I think it's it's symptomatic of how America never wants you to really feel or express the fact that you're down. They always want to see that up. They want to see the positive Facebook posts. They I was want gonna to say see, that's Facebook. That's yeah, why we it's, have it. It's exactly what that is. Your highlight reel. Yeah. And you know, God forbid you ever say anything negative. You get no likes and dear God, you need likes. <laughs> what about pokes? Do you get pokes? Pokes. Do they still have pokes? I on get Facebook? like a mixed thing. Um, they still have pokes and I heard from someone it's creepy if you poke. <laughs> I don't know. I so. found it can be, in the right circumstances, a glorious experience. <laughs> well, a, a good poking. I had like be. an ongoing, like month-long poke war with someone where it was just like constant back and forth barrage. Did you even get up to eat or was it? No, no. We sat there. It was a solid month of just like feeding through a tube. <laughs> Swallowing my spit. <laughs> Which is good. I often swallow my spit. Absolutely. It's either that or the sidewalk. Yeah. The sidewalk can only take so much. So, uh, you want to read another poem? Oh, sure, why not? You have I a couple guess. more for us? I have, I have one or two. Um, I'll do this one. It's called Defining the Feeling I Get Around You. It was written for um, a person I was in love with. And I was trying to define that feeling without using cliche. So, it's up to you whether or not I actually accomplished that or not. <clears throat> 
I'm sorry, but I lose track of what you're saying sometimes. I just stare. It's like that moment when intense pain happens and you lose track of any other sense you have. The same thing happens when we make eye contact but replace all that pain with a love so dense. It draws all my senses to the tip of your lips, your eyes, and the half smile they form when you're telling me some story that I'm losing track of because I'm trying to be polite and not cut you off with a kiss. As these words, words are just pouring off of your tongue like the movements your hands make when you get excited, I wish I knew why. But I lose track of what you're saying sometimes because I love you like a writer in a house full of broken pens. In that moment when he opens a drawer and finds one in perfect condition and it feels weightless in his fingertips. See, I love you like the, the first poem he tries to write with it when he is so stuffed with eager phrases that none of them seem to fit, seem to fit quite right. Yes, sometimes my I love you doesn't fit quite right. It's as if the phrase is far too shallow, so I say it over and over as if the words were a chisel, shaving off pieces of a granite block to expose the statue that's been hiding from both of us underneath my tongue. I haven't finished sculpting yet, but this is what I've gotten so far. See, I love you. I love you like a, a man with a hangover. Loves his first taste of coffee. Like the greasy breakfast made soon after that sits in his stomach, like the, that gives him the same feeling as a fever breaking. I love you like the first smile he's made all morning. I love you like the last moment of a month-long depression that leaves me suddenly silent, smiling after weeks of self-doubt and sadness filling my mind, spinning for what feels like forever because in your eyes I find silence. So I'm sorry if I lose track of what you're saying sometimes. It's hard to focus when everything gets so quiet. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so just to remind everybody that's tuning in late to the podcast, this is uh, David DeMola. Hi. We're talking Hi. with, I'm Jeff Neal, and this is Coffee and Poets, available both here at the Naked Lounge on 8th Street every third Sunday at 5 p.m., also available on SoundCloud. Yeah. This whole series is produced by Insa Ah. So Woo. thank you, Insa Ah, for uh, allowing both me and David to yeah, be here today. No, absolutely. Um, fun fact, when I started off, Insa Ah was one of the people who first inspired me. It was him and Bill Gaynor. And so it's like a serious honor to be here. Like They're pretty great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, poetry. Is there any commercial viability to, to poetry? Well, uh, poetry... Um... <laughs> no, um, I mean, you're not going to make a living off it unless presumably you're a, a professor or you have some other second job. But I would argue against that. I think it's all about finding the right avenue. Like you had stand up, stand up for a long time. Uh, it got the, the big push of television behind it. And that's why it's so, so huge now. And you had that big push in the 80s. I feel like it's starting to get, especially in the Sacramento area, it's starting to get noticed. It's all about finding the right avenue to sell it. So um, what avenue is that? For me, I'm trying to take it in a route of private events for businesses mm -hmm. so that we can do uh, little presentations and whatnot and actually get some money flowing in for that. Yeah. So is that, uh, so it sounds like you're saying you can get people to pay for poetry if you, I don't know what, what kind of uh, private events, what. Uh, so like a uh, perfect example, this is kind of where I drew the idea from. So I do improv and Normally, uh, improv start of the same way as poetry. It's just like, there's no way you're going to make money with this. This is totally just a side hobby. But uh, the place that I was doing improv with for the longest time, they do private events. And people will actually bring them out just to perform improv and goof off and all of that. And it doesn't even have to be a very good show. They just appreciate the fact that something different is going on in their workplace. 
So I'm thinking of taking that mindset. Obviously, you know, I love the poetry, so that's hopefully going to be the good part. But um, bringing that out to businesses for like meetings and special events and employee retreats, employee retreats, that whole deal. And there's a they pay surprisingly well for it. <laughs> well, I hope it works out. Thank you. We'll find out. I don't know. I'll be that homeless guy on the street. <laughs> with the sandwich they're board. less. I, I just have to say, they're less likely to hire you for a private event mm. if you're a homeless guy on the street. <sighs> That's what I've been doing wrong. Okay, <laughs> there's it's a, it's a it's a prejudice for I, sure. It, I does, knew it has no reflection on the quality of the. Thank you. Yes, product, exactly. I, I just, think the more homeless you are, the better off you are as a poet. So, but the harder it is to get hired by people who have money. <laughs> so it's a it's, it's, a, a, it's a delicate balance. It's professional. No, I'm, God. So there's. Um, you know, th- we're in a changing media environment though. Yeah. And there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our, what we call culture is really uh, consumption of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an enormous amount of money spent on that. Yeah. Um, you know, poetry at one point in at least the Western European tradition was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and it is less so now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's television, there's movies, music is yeah. enormous, which is kind of there's so much poetry to chew with, up, which kind of poetry with music. Yeah. Um, but is there, do you think poetry can have a place in culture that is as big as it once was in, at least in Western Europe? I think Russell Simmons deaf poetry was the closest we got to having that happen so far. And I don't know why I just feel like there's going to be another big push for it in the next couple of years. So uh, the first thing we talked about was kind of what differentiates poetry from other forms of mm-hmm. expression or entertainment, uh, expression being from the poet's point of view and entertainment being from the audience's yeah. point of view. Um, do you think that there's something about poetry that has made it, uh, you oh. know, kind of, I mean, really lose ground in the, what is, you know, in, in terms of the, what's considered culture? Oddly enough, I think it's oversaturation. You can go pretty much anywhere and find poetry of varying uh, levels of, of decency. That's the wrong word for it. <laughs> Poet, it's also I know true. how to spin words, but true. decency true. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of sec, well, actually along that similar vein, there's a lot of very sexual poetry out there, which affect, makes people think that poetry is mostly a sexual thing. And it's just that stereotypical view of like the, that's the my romantic. problem with Robert Frost. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's the doesn't just love a wall. Dicks it's like all over his poems. Is, yeah. Um, covers so, his poem in dicks. <laughs> Actually, on his drafts, the margins are in fact filled with Balises. drawings. Of, yeah. Um, so you not only have the, you're, you're trying to get the this this uh, side business, I guess, of yeah. of uh, working uh, private performances, but you 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 are around town sometimes. You perform around Sacramento. Do. do you have other any shows coming up that you want to tell us about? Um, no show specifically, but if I can, I'd love to plug a few things. Do. Okay. So uh, over at Shine Cafe on first and third Wednesdays, there's a little show called Midtown Out Loud. Um, it's music and poetry, and it's a beautiful night. I'm not being paid or anything like that to to sell it. It's seriously, it's one of my favorite spots just because of the heart that goes into that place. And it's a whole lot of love that goes into that night. Um, they get musicians who, like, you could see them at Harlow's. They play at Ace of Spades. They bring them in. Everybody gets like one, um, one performance or five minutes. Also, they do poets who get featured around town and all that too. And tell us again when and where. That because is people never pay attention. To Shine Cafe time. on 14th and E on first and uh, third Wednesdays. 
And also, uh, Red Alice's Poetry Emporium, same location on the second and fourth. It's also a very good night for poetry. Uh, Luna's Cafe on Thursdays at eight o'clock. Beautiful. I think one of us, one of us two hosts. One of us does. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> Hint, it's not me. Um, so you're, you, all, you were also telling me earlier that oh. you are going uh, outside of the country yeah. with poetry. I am. I'm going with a gentleman named Ike Torres and Graffiti Blue, and we are going on a little European tour, as it is. Uh, yeah, I've got a whole FundMe, GoFundMe.com website set up to uh, kind of push that because we're excited as heck to go out there, and we want to be able to obviously have money for doing things and such. Um, but it's GoFundMe.com slash the tour. I kept it super simple. And where's the where's the tour going to send you? So, oh, we're going to the Salerno World Conference, which is a meeting of poets. We I believe from twenty five or thirty five uh, countries, sixty nine cities. They're all coming in, and it's just learning about different styles of poetry and connecting with each other. It sounds like the Tower of Babel. You're coming it from twenty five different countries. None of you is going to be able to understand each other. <laughs> I think most of them speak English. I'm hoping. Because you don't speak 24 other languages. You know, I try. (laughs) It comes out like Babel. How fitting. How fitting. (laughs) So you will be able to communicate. Everybody will be speaking Babel to each other. Yeah, exactly. And we'll do um, a lot of pantomime to make sure that we know what we're talking about. Um, You want to do another? Speaking of pantomime, another poem? Yes, of course. I pantomime a lot when I do poetry, if you're wondering. So this is from a one-man show that I, I got to do uh, over at Shine and also over at Luna's uh, just recently. I think last Thursday, yeah. So uh, this is about depression. This is my subconscious talking to me. And uh, it's the start of the show. I am a voice, silenced by the sound of my mother's shh. I can never love you. I can never love you right. You know I'm only human, and I can't even get that right. I've become an amalgamation of broken parts, a still life afterthought, painted on two words, dearly departed love. Death, death's become a gospel, and it calls from my heart, the blackness beyond a journey eager to start. So every poem I write becomes a suicide shout that says, if death is a shadow, let me turn these lights out. I said, if death is a shadow, let me turn these lights out. I can never love you. I can never love you right. You know I'm only human. And I can't even get that right. See, every morning I will call you. And every plan with no fall through. And every time I see you smile, just know I'm set ready to carve you. I call your heart Judas. Your hands are dark apostles. They scrape my name along your veins so they so you bleed victim like it was a gospel. Yeah, call the doctor. Get that medication sedation. We both know you won't take those pills, son. They kill your creation. So, poet, listen. You have two choices. Die with me and grow your art or live to hate yourself for your decisions. I can never love you. I can never love you right. You know I'm only human. And I can't even get that right. I can't take it anymore. These great clouds and dying friends have worn me down so much. I just... Given the open cut and blood flow is followed by the silence it creeps in under my skin as my senses tire, worn thin from years of travel, scarred veins break like historic highways turning into gravel, and this silence is the rain eroding asphalt in the shadows. I can never love you, I can never love you right. You know I'm only human. 
And I can't even get that right I said I can never love you I can never love you right You know I'm only human And I can't even get that right So that whole one-man show is about um, depression. It's a kid who commits suicide, goes to the afterlife, and gets a second chance to kind of redeem himself, and he, and he does. Yeah. That's good. Because if, if he committed suicide a second time, it would be a real downer. It would be a real downer of a show. <laughs> I'm not writing a Russian <laughs> poem here. I'm, I like to be positive. <laughs> uh, so you're, the poems that you've read uh, today, they kind of have a... Um, while they're on different subjects, they all kind of have a, a, a theme, I guess, of trying to impart wisdom or advice based yeah. on your experience to people who are reading or, or listening. Is that something that you think is one of the things that poetry should do or that you want your poetry to do? Or I mean, for me personally, that's what I want my poetry to do. I want people to be able to listen to it and take something home with them. Um, I don't write a lot of poetry that's imagery based. I don't write a lot unless it's like a haiku. It's weird. I tend to write haikus that are, you know, all about describing the the mug full of coffee on the table. Yeah. But I don't do a lot of focusing on imagery. I do a lot of focusing on message with my poetry on purpose. Yeah. So um, do you, but you don't do that in an improv. I <laughs> no, it's no, harder no. To yeah. do. It's harder to work in because with improv, it's basically the people you're with are also bending the the story of the the play, I guess, is the right way to put it. And um, so there's so many ideas clashing back and forth. It's kind of hard to have one solid message to it. Have you ever thought about writing a play? Dear God, no. <laughs> that just sounds like a lot of work, and I, I never get the formatting right. <laughs> it's, like, it's just dialogue. I, oh, that's all it is. That's Don't worry about point. the formatting. It's well, just dialogue. It's actually it's kind of funny because um, when I started off, my whole idea of writing poetry, I was actually just writing monologues to myself. And so I was taking it from that aspect, which is probably where I got the, how the, the flow develops while I write, because that mm -hmm. tends to, yeah, I don't know. Just add one more person and it's a play. And it's a play, a yeah. Good point, plus yeah. a person. Well, that's why I wrote the one-man play, so it was, you know. <laughs> so you would have to have the complication of the second character. Yeah. Uh, so given that so much of your work is is kind of a message or wisdom or advice-based, if, if, if something was to happen to you, say mm -hmm. you were paying too much attention to your phone while you were driving or that could happen. <laughs> stopped on a train tracks accidentally and narcolepsy hit and you fell asleep. Uh, what would be the um, thing that you would most regret not being able to say? What would I regret saying? Uh, no, not, not being able to say. Not being able to not, say. Not, okay. not what do you regret saying? <laughs> okay. That's, no, that's although say that's nothing. a great question. That's, that's, so that's, what do you most regret saying? <laughs> what do I most regret saying? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, nothing is the answer to that. Uh, I regret saying nothing when I should have said something. Um, but what I would regret not saying, I guess it's not so much what I would regret not saying, but what I regret not pushing more in my work is the idea of things will be okay if you let them be okay. And you don't have to always be struggling and pushing for it. And change comes at the moment of decision. And, yeah, you don't always have to be struggling just because you're improving. I guess that's a way to put it. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Do you want to do one more 
poem to take us out? Sure. You know what? I'll do um I'll do that amen piece that we were talking about before. Um that I banned myself from doing, but I'm gonna break that. So this is the first poem one of the first poems I wrote with like a slam style to it, um uh, two thousand twelve. I used to skip church on Saturdays to play in the rain, and in the last ten minutes of mass come back in to take the host in and say amen. I never knew what it meant back then. It took years after I gave up the faith to learn that amen is just an affirmation, not some magical phrase that puts your words on a fast track to God. Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means? And so it shall be. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. And so it shall be. It's a statement about the human condition. Resolve that from this day forward, you will strive to become whatever it is you've just said. And even though those words have long since lost their mysticism with me, I still see power behind that core belief. There could be a prayer in every sentence we speak. Not so I hope I can do this, or I really want to do this, but simply and so it shall be. No excuses, no confusion, just absolution. Amen. So I started writing a bunch of poems myself, tagging that word at the end, and I realized all I did was create a bunch of prayers that said, I'll never do it again. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better man. My goal in life is to seek perfection. (laughs) Amen. So I guess what I'm trying to say is faith has many shapes to it, and you never know what form it comes back in when it comes around again. But since that realization set in, it's become a part of who I am. I don't have to be a man of God to be a man of good intention. I just have to be a man. Amen. Um, so yeah, that was originally be written to be like a monologue in a play that I would never actually write. That's an example of that. That's, uh, <laughs> well, one of these days, maybe you'll write it and we will all go see the play. Uh, thank you for joining us yeah, today, David. Uh, again, this has been Coffee and Poets with Produced by Insa Ah, I'm Jeff Neal. This is David DeMola. Hey, thanks for listening. (laughs) So it shall be. Thank you, David.